Our scripture this morning will be Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of our Lord. Amen. This morning we're going to be in the book of Philippians as uh, Debbie has read for us already. Continuing in our uh, series, Closer Than Close, we're going to be looking at something um, <clears throat> called spiritual disciplines. Uh, when, when I think of the word discipline, the word that comes to my mind most often than not um, is actually being on a diet. Uh, we probably all have at some point been on um, a diet. To some of you, the word diet is the worst four-letter word there is out there. You know, you absolutely hate thinking about that. But what, what is the diet? A diet is eating particular foods, certain foods that help you reach a certain goal. I've always just not enjoyed hearing about these guys. <clears throat> you know, you'd be watching TV and you're watching a ball game or you hear about these guys who eat like six to eight meals a day. Because they're wanting to, to gain weight and they're struggling to do so. And I'm like, man, I think about six to eight meals a day and I put on like six pounds, you know, immediately. So I've always been bothered by that. But I remember I used to have these goals <clears throat> and I used to set these goals for myself because I wanted to be <clears throat> big and strong and buff. And I would eat just calories. I mean, like tons and tons and tons and tons of food. And for whatever reason, I think like God has always enjoyed not allowing me to have what I've, you know, strived after when it comes to this, but I would eat so much food and I wouldn't get any stronger. I would just like get bigger right around this section, you know, and, and even though I would try to eat well, and now I can eat like half the calories and put on twice the amount of weight, you know, and it just seems like what, what, what's the purpose, but a diet, a diet is meant for us to, um, to, to eat certain things or not eat certain things in order to gain a certain goal. But what makes a diet effective? A diet is only effective whenever uh, you are disciplined in your particular diet. When you place certain restrictions on yourself, whether for medical reasons, whether for uh, a goal of trying to lose weight in order to achieve some certain goal that you're aiming for. It may involve eating uh, a lot of protein or it may involve um, cutting out all the good stuff like cake, cookies, sweet tea, all that kind of stuff that you enjoy. It may involve that or it may involve adding some kind of food to your diet in order to help you achieve your goal. But probably if you've ever been on one, you've gotten to the point where you begin to see results. And when you receive results, it helps you to become more disciplined. You place those restrictions on yourself in order to achieve your goal that you're aiming at. But here's the deal. Without a goal, 
If there's no goal that you have, you don't know the right habits, and therefore you don't know what kind of measures to take in order to achieve your goal. You see, I'm afraid that uh, many sitting in this room may, may be similar in terms of your spiritual life. You, uh, you know that reading your Bible is important. You know that praying is vital. You know that attending worship is something you do, but maybe at times you've done those things aimlessly, like someone without a goal, and you're left asking the question, what's the purpose? Why am I supposed to do these things called the spiritual disciplines? And maybe you found yourself in one of two places. You, maybe you found yourself always feel like you should be doing more. Here's what I mean when I say that I ask people, typically weekly, how they're doing in their walk with the Lord. And typically the answer I always get is, um, I, I, I'm not where I should be. Well, that's, that's not a bad answer. I typically say, okay, then are you supposed to be down the road? Are you supposed to be in old fort? Like what's going on there? No, I, I look and I say, okay, what do you mean by where should, where should you be? And they say, I, sh- I should just be doing more. I need to be reading more. I need to be uh, praying more. I need to be uh, doing more. And see, I think the problem is while, while it'd be easy to say, well, yeah, I could be doing more in my spiritual walk. Maybe many of you strive to do Yet you feel like your performance is never good enough. And you feel like you're never close enough to God. Instead, he always seems far away and and unhappy with you because you're striving to do and you can never seem to get where you want to be. Maybe you always feel like you're never doing enough and you fall short of your expectation and it leaves you feeling guilty and you live in fear. You live with lack of joy because you feel like, man, I should always be doing more. Or maybe you're in the second place. You feel satisfied completely in your walk with the Lord. There's nothing wrong with feeling good about where you are with Jesus. If you're in a good spot, that's that's great. But maybe you feel completely satisfied. And what I mean is you feel good in your walk with the Lord. And what's happened is you've kind of taken your foot off the gas pedal. And what happens when you take your foot off the gas? Your car may continue to still roll, but eventually what's going to happen to it? It's going to come to a stop. And maybe you have lost motivation in your walk with the Lord because you, you, you felt good about where you were and it's caused you to not continue to press forward and now you've become stagnant. And these habits that you, that you have don't really do what they should be doing for you. Maybe um, you feel like now you're, you're doing enough and it's easy to just stay in maintenance mode and be satisfied with where you are. So we can be in one of two places. We can be there or we can be in the place that thinks I'm never going to be who I should be. And because of that, I always live in guilt and I always live in fear and I live with no joy. See, Paul wants to tell us something this morning. If you're a Christian in here, you likely want to grow in your relationship, in your union with Christ to become a more mature Christian. That's our goal. We, we, we want to do that, but maybe it's become hard because you've lost sight of your goal. See, Paul would say, um, we've got to be about one thing. In this passage here, Paul says he's about one thing. And we, in the same way, have got to be about one thing. And what is that one thing? It's knowing Christ. 
I think some of you were expecting something more profound right there. You thought I was going to just throw something out there that just kind of blew your mind. No, Paul, Paul doesn't say that. You say, Adrian, man, that sounds too easy. Knowing Christ, man, I, I feel like my spiritual life has to have more than that. You see, most goals that we often have are somewhat simple. We just end up making them complicated. Paul says he's about one thing, and that's knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. One thing that takes effort on our part, God moving through us, but we can't achieve perfection on this side of heaven. There's no point when we finally, if you feel like I'm never doing good enough, there's no point on this side of heaven that we will ever arrive. Because one day we will get to a point where we do. Instead, Paul says we need to strain ahead, growing in our understanding of our union with Christ. So what makes a mature Christian is not that they've reached some kind of spiritual insight. They've reached some kind of spiritual height because they do longer devotionals than everybody else. Or you're not a mature Christian because you just pray longer than other people or because you listen to Chris Tomlin more than anybody else. That doesn't make you a mature Christian. Paul says what makes you a mature Christian is that you are always straining forward in your relationship with Jesus. And that takes discipline. Typically, when you hear a sermon about spiritual disciplines, you assume it's going to be about reading your Bible more, you know, praying more, praying without ceasing, tithing, corporate worship attendance and all those things that seem like a checklist. And while those things are important, they serve a greater goal. They serve a greater purpose. And if we don't have that purpose in mind, guess what's going to happen? We're going to to read. We're going to pray. We're going to give. We're going to attend worship. And without the greater goal in mind that Paul is about to tell us, without that, these disciplines are going to seem burdensome. They're going to seem bland. And honestly, they may even get annoying. Unless we're about one thing. And Paul says we have one goal. And that goal we have is to know Christ. One goal, to know Christ. Paul says, there is one thing I do, there's one thing I'm about, there's one thing I live for, there's one goal that I have. And he says that in verse uh, 10 and 11, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's what I'm about. I want to know Christ. Paul says, in order to be a mature Christian, you must have one goal and pursue it with all your heart. And that goal is to know Christ. Paul would say, everything that I do within my day, whether it it has to do with with your job, whether it has to do with your family, whether it has to do with the relationship, whether it has to do with just you personally, everything that you do within a day is about one thing, and that is to know Christ more and more and more. You see, one day we're going to be able to experience perfect knowledge of Jesus whenever we uh, see him in heaven. And that's our final goal. Before we can actually get there, we pursue knowing him now as much as we possibly can. So this means our thinking about our relationship with God has to change. You see, I think often it's, we have this mindset that when we become saved, when we are converted, if you're a Christian and once you, once you actually reach that point that Maddie was talking about this morning of knowing Christ, that is not the end. You've not finally arrived because you're now a Christian. As, as a matter of fact, that's actually the beginning point. Just like when uh, you get married. 
That's not the end of your relationship. That's actually the beginning of a brand new relationship. Just like whenever a child is born. That's not the end. That's the beginning of their life. When you are a Christian, the beginning of your life starts at conversion. And then you continue to pursue Jesus more and more and more. Paul would tell us in Romans 8, 29... That this is our goal. He says, for those whom he, that's God, foreknew, he also predestined to be what? To be conformed to the image of his son. That's our purpose. To be conformed to the image of Jesus. He would also say, when he wrote 2 Corinthians in 3.18, he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. If we are followers of Christ, our goal is to know him. One thing that we have to realize, though, is we can't be perfect now. See, the people in Philippi, they were teaching. There were these these people called Judaizers, and they were teaching that in order to really know Christ, you had to believe the gospel and also do all of these things and and these ritualistic things in order for God to, to, to give you favor, in order for God to then love you. And Paul says, no, hang on, there's not some kind of strict rule that you have to place on yourself in order for God to love you. Instead, God showed that he loved you through Christ. But these people in Philippi, they were saying, no, you can reach perfection now. And you reach perfection by doing these certain rituals. Paul says, "Hang, hang on a second. That's not the case. That can't happen. Instead, Paul gives us something that should comfort us. In verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. The Apostle Paul, this is a relief to me. The Apostle Paul, the world's greatest missionary, a man who wrote uh, the majority of the New Testament, says, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not a perfect Christian. I'm not perfect. And the fact of the Apostle Paul telling us that should give us a little comfort that we're not going to reach this point in earth where we finally get to a point where we are the final mature Christian that we need to be. No, we're not going to reach that. But Paul says, I've not already obtained it, but guess what I'm doing? I'm pursuing it. I'm going for it. I haven't arrived yet, but guess what? I'm going to take every step in the right direction. And knowing that we haven't become perfect yet means that we need to continue to pursue our goal. And this changes the reason for why we do the things we do in order to know Jesus. This changes our habits. Because you can do all the right things and still not have the right goal, which is to know Christ. See, you can passionately pursue Bible reading, praying, attending worship, memorizing scripture without the underlying goal, which is to know Christ. And if you do those things, you're missing the mark. How do I know that? Paul would tell us in Verses 4 through 9 in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul says, I, look at my pedigree. I'm not only... Um, from the, I'm not only an Israelite, but I'm also from the tribe of Benjamin. That was the best one to be from. And I, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. My pedigree is unmatched. And he says this. He says, as to the law, a Pharisee means he kept the law just right on. He kept the, the written law, the code, perfectly. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
Paul said, I did everything right. I, at, at the time, it would have been the Old Testament. Paul said, I read the Old Testament. I memorized it. I lived by it. I did all these things right. I had all the right actions. I had all the right habits. I came from the right people. But then what does he say? Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. All this pedigree, all these habits, everything that I learned, I count it as loss. Why? For the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul's saying, I had done all the right things. I'd done everything right. The problem was, Paul's saying, my goal was off. I'd done everything perfectly, but I still had the wrong goal. You see, we can do the right things and oftentimes have the wrong goal. And Paul says, our goal is to what? To know Christ. See, sometimes we can even read our Bibles without the goal to know Christ. And that'll give you knowledge and information, which is not all bad. But it's still to a degree missing the mark because the goal of reading, the goal of of, of attending life group, the goal of corporate worship, the goal of, of prayer is not in the acts themselves. They are to know Christ. So what is it that maybe you've got to do? First thing is this, reorient your mind to the right goal. Reorient your mind to the right goal. Because see, life throws distractions. And when they do, reorient your mind to the right goal. Life throws things that are difficult. We have to remember our goal. We get in situations we need to understand, as Paul did, our goal is to know Christ, and that takes all of our energy. Everything we do, we do so in order that we may know him more and more and more fully. But when we get our goal, it's only when we actually get to the point of we realize my goal is to know Jesus. That's it. I'll never reach perfection on this side of heaven, so I continue to pursue our goal means that we move in one direction, and that is forward. We move in one direction, which is forward. So how do we do do that? How do we move forward in our walk with the Lord? It can come in a lot of ways, but some of the ways we do it is through the disciplines that I just mentioned. But we've got to have the right underlying goal before we can be doing those things for the right purpose. You see, discipline sometimes is difficult. Paul uses the term strain and, and, and press on, which are kind of like, like trudging along kind of terms. Our walk with the Lord is not always easy. Your walk with Christ is not a, a cakewalk. Paul, when he was writing this letter, was faced with all kinds of adversity. He's writing this letter from a prison in Rome awaiting his death. And he tells the Philippians to keep on pressing on. This letter is full of encouragement. He tells the Philippians how good they're doing spiritually. He says, man, I'm proud of you guys. I'm glad for where you are. And they could have easily gotten relaxed and kind of went into maintenance mode. But Paul says, despite how good you're doing, keep pressing. Despite how you're doing, keep going. This brings to mind this idea of of, of athletics. 
You know, in the midst of a grueling race, a runner just has to keep going despite what he's going through because he wants to, to gain the prize. He wants to get to his goal. And our goal is to know Christ. And this is where discipline matters. We have the right goal to know Christ. Then we put in the right disciplines in order to know him more. To carry out the, the diet analogy, what happens <clears throat> when you finally get the right goal and you say, man, I want to lose this much weight by the first of the year. You begin taking out things that's going to hinder you from your goal or you begin putting in things that's going to help you with your goal. And Paul says, it's often not easy in your walk with the Lord to take certain things out of your life that are hindering you from pursuing him or to even to add certain things that are going to help you. But instead we strain and we press on because we now have the right goal. And Paul says, now that you have the right goal, you move forward in the right direction. The only way you can move forward is to do what? Not focus on the past. Whether it be good or bad. No matter your past, you don't focus on the past. Because like I've heard a, a pastor friend of mine say before, it's hard to drive uh, forward when you're looking in the rearview mirror. It's hard to continue to move forward when you're always looking at your past. Paul says, man, I'm looking forward to that day when Jesus calls me home and I see him face to face. I'm looking forward to that. So I'm keeping the end in mind. Philippians 3.20 says, and we're citizens of heaven. I'm keeping the end in mind and I'm pressing forward to my goal to know Jesus because I want to experience him more and more and more fully. So I keep pressing forward. He says, forget what lies behind. Strain toward what's ahead. If you keep up with sports, maybe you watch the NCAA tournament every single year like I do. And you, in, in the NCAA tournament, you have teams that are in the tournament. And every weekend, uh, the teams get cut in half pretty much because you have, 60, let's say, 64 teams playing. The next round, it's 32. The next weekend, it's 16. It keeps going down. What happens if a coach wins a ball game? And he just won't let that game go. He's so excited about what happened in that game that he forgets that he's playing another game in two days. He, chances are he's going to lose. So what should that coach do? That, that coach should be excited about that win when it happens. But understand that he shouldn't just sit there and stay in the past, but he's got something ahead of him that he's trying to march toward, which is a championship. Paul says, don't continue to talk about what you've done in the past and think about and dwell on who you were or what you've done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Because see, focusing on the past, whether it's good or bad, hinders you from becoming who God is calling you to be now and in the future. See, Paul, I mean, he had both good and a bad past. He had held the coats of, of those stoning Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He said, it's good that they do this. So he had a past as a persecutor and a murderer of Christians. And he also had a past of planting church upon church upon church, starting all these different congregations. He says, I don't dwell on who I was, either good or bad. Instead, I keep moving forward. Because if we dwell on who we are, we may lose motivation to keep moving forward, pursuing Jesus. So maybe, maybe, maybe you relive the glory days and you remember the day that the days that you just seem to walk with Jesus closely and you're, you're wanting to get back to that rather than just pressing forward to who Jesus is calling you to be now. Or maybe uh, you look back at your life and you see all the shame of the sin and you feel this guilt that continues to just overtake you and you can't seem to move out of your past 
And you're so dissatisfied with who you are then that though Christ has changed your life, you can't move past it now. And see, if you're in Christ, you're not your past failure. No matter how bad you were, your failure is not your identity. Your your value doesn't come from accomplishments, success, knowledge, wealth, or even your failure. Your value instead comes from Christ, what he's done. God doesn't choose you based on your sense of worth, but based on your faith in Jesus. Your past uh, failure is not who you are, and neither are your past accomplishments. We don't dwell in the past because that keeps us from straining forward to our goal, which is knowing Jesus more now and seeing him face to face one day. If anybody had room for failure, guess who it was? It was Paul. If anybody had room to begin to coast in his walk with the Lord and go into maintenance mode, it was also Paul. But here's a man straining forward because he wants to know Christ. Because he wants to know Jesus more deeply. So let me ask you this. What is it that you may need to let go of in order to continue forward in your relationship with God? What is it that you may need to lay aside that's harming your pursuit of Jesus now? Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it is a... Maybe it's something that you're doing. Something that, that, that is hindering your relationship with God. What maybe do you need to add to your relationship with the Lord to be able to, to make it deeper and more, more intimate? Parents, are, are you setting a godly example for your kids to follow? Paul talks about this in 17, 18, and 19 in Philippians 3. Talk about setting an example and living by those examples. Are you setting an example for your kids to follow? Students, are, are you watching the right people? Are you watching the right people following their example? You see, pressing forward and straining toward the goal to know Christ will inherently mean also strain and press are not terms of ease. They're grueling terms. So that means that if we press forward to know Jesus more, what are we ultimately at some point going to face? We live on this earth. We're going to face suffering. And Jesus even promises that even to know him, may mean that we suffer in Luke 14. You see, the book of James, Jesus' brother says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Suffering, as Paul mentions in verse 11, is the conduit to experience the power of God to a greater degree. Paul says, I want to know Christ. And if it means I I have to suffer in his name, I will do so. See, Paul went through great suffering. A lot of suffering. As he's writing this, as I've already said, he's awaiting his death. But he says to the Philippians, press on. Keep going. It's through suffering and pressing that you come to a greater understanding of God's power and of God's love for you. Lest we not forget that, that when we suffer, it is just for nothing. When we suffer, and you're a Christian, you suffer persevering through that suffering so you can experience the power of God to a greater degree. 
And this is not to diminish suffering. I don't, I don't want to sit here and try to diminish any suffering that you've gone through because I know many of you sit in here and you have suffered greatly. You've suffered tragedies. Maybe you've suffered uh, going through cancer, seeing a family member battle through that. Maybe you've suffered through some of the most uh, difficult circumstances imaginable. And as I've talked with several of you who I know well who have gone through those things, you've explained to me how uh, going through suffering, you were able to experience the power of God to a greater degree and your relationship with Jesus grew more intimate because you suffered those things. Paul says we do what we do to know Christ. And some of you may sit in here today and you say, Adrian, I, 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 I appreciate what you're saying, but you don't understand what I'm facing right now. You don't understand the suffering that I'm going through. I can't continue to bear what I'm bearing. I can't go through with it. I I don't know. This, This sounds good, what you're saying about keep pressing on. But could you just tell me something else? What am I supposed to do with the suffering that I'm facing? Let me tell you what the Apostle Paul said. He said, keep pressing. Keep pressing to know Jesus. See, that sounds difficult. Often it is. But I want to remind you of a few times in Scripture when God's people were struggling and suffering. And God, in His grace, in His mercy, and in His love, brought them out of what they were struggling through. The Israelites were in Egypt. And whenever they they fled Egypt, they got to the Red Sea. And the Red Sea stood between uh, liberation and death. And what did God do? God parted the waters. When the Israelites were in uh, the desert, hungry, what did God do? God provided for them and God was with them. When the people of Israel saw that the walls of Jericho were too high, what did God do? He brought them down. When a giant named Goliath stood and defied God's people and stood and defied God Almighty, God used the mere shepherd boy to destroy a giant. When Job's world was ripped right from his hands and he lost everything, God restored Job's world more than he had ever had before. When the disciples were in a boat and they thought their boat was sinking, Jesus stood up and Jesus calmed the water. And when Satan thought he had won the day by destroying your life through sin and won the day by destroying Jesus at the crucifixion, Jesus came bursting forth three days later, defeating the power of sin, destroying the power of death, and proving that he has authority over everything that you and I face. So when we get in a moment of suffering and we get in a moment of trial, we get in a moment where we don't feel like we can move, God says, keep pressing. Because as we keep pressing, God is not only with us, but God will bring us through what we're facing. And that gets us to our last point, which is our motivation. Our motivation to pursue Christ and to know him comes down to the fact that Christ made us his own. If you're sitting in this room this morning and you're a believer in Jesus... Jesus has made you his own. He did so by pressing forward. You see, he pressed on in the face of the most immense pain and struggle anyone has ever felt. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked his father to take away the pain of his wrath because it was beginning to weigh on him so much that he almost died before he made it to the cross. 
We see it in Mark 14, 33 through 36. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And it says that Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus, before he even made it to the cross, was beginning to feel the wrath of God because of our sin, weighing on him so much that he could almost right then pass out and die. And it said, remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell to the ground under that pain. He fell to the ground and he prayed, if it were possible, this hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. You see, Jesus went through pain and agony of having his father pour out his righteous anger and wrath against our sin. And Mark 14 shows us that Jesus honestly didn't enjoy what he was facing. Yet he did it in humility, straining forward for no other reason than to prove he loves us. You see, it's in Gethsemane that we see, Gethsemane shows us that in our darkest hour, when you feel like giving up, when you feel like you can't keep going forward, Gethsemane, when Jesus pressed on, when he almost died before even making it to the cross because he was experiencing the wrath of God, Gethsemane shows us Then in our darkest hour, when we feel like giving up, we can keep going because in his darkest hour, Jesus didn't give up on us. When he could have, he didn't. So he will not now. Jesus faced the cross and went through ultimate pain. Pain to the point of death so that our sin could be forgiven. So that we could know God and so that we could be a son and daughter of the king. Let me ask you this question. What's your goal? Is your goal to know Christ? Within knowing Christ, you may say, because I want to know Jesus more, I'm going to set up these particular disciplines every day and I'm going to do those. But the goal isn't just to do those. Is your goal to know Christ? Are you pursuing Christ passionately? Or are you looking just to maintain Are you taking things out of your life that keep you from your goal? Are you adding things to your life that are going to help you achieve your goal to know Jesus? Are you motivated because Jesus has made you his own? We need to be about one thing, and that's to know Christ. Eric Liddell was about one thing. Maybe you've heard his story before. If you've watched the movie Chariots of Fire, you've, you've heard that story. Maybe you've read about him. Eric Liddell was a sprinter in the 1924 Paris Olympics. And he, um, he found out that his best race, which was the 100 meter, he was good at some other races, but that was his best one. He found out that the 100 meter in the 1924 Paris Olympics was going to be run on a Sunday. And, and, and Eric Liddell was a devout Christian who did not want to do anything on the Sabbath. That was a, a conviction that he had. So he said, I, I'm not going to do it. People questioned him. They thought, why are you not? This is your best race. You will win a gold medal in this Olympics. But he was convinced that there was something more important to this life. And that was him still pursuing knowing Jesus. And he was willing to set aside everything and anything in order to pursue him, even if that meant a gold medal. And he was motivated because he realized Christ first knew him. 
Let me ask you this. Will you do the same? What are you willing to lay aside in order to know Jesus? What um, will you will you lay aside your worry? Are you able to lay aside your fear? Are you able to see there are certain distractions in your life keeping you from knowing Jesus and you begin to clear those distractions? Can you lay aside your own agenda in order to pursue Christ? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're not a believer. You don't know Jesus. You've not trusted in him to forgive your sin. Well, this morning, you can know the Jesus who gave his life for you. There's not this level that you have to achieve in order to, for God to, to love you. You just have to realize that you are a sinner who needs a Savior and that Jesus on the cross paid for your sin. And when he rose three days later, he proved that he's God proving to have power over death, have power over your sin. What will you lay aside in order to pursue Christ? Because the Apostle Paul says we need to be about one thing, and that's to know him. Let's pray together.